Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. We've only got one match left of the 2022-23 Australian Cricket Summer and it's the Marsh-Sheffield Shield final that's coming up on Thursday, March 23. My name is Josh Shonafinger and today I'm going to be previewing it and looking back on the Marsh-Sheffield Shield season that was with uh, my fellow cricket.com.au journalist, Jack Painter. Jack, welcome. It's been a pretty big summer and it's all going to come to an end, unfortunately, this weekend. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. And it is, uh, it's been, it's been a great summer. Uh, we're back to a full Sheffield Shield season, uh, 10 round Sheffield Shield season. I think we've got the two best teams in the final. Victoria, obviously a massive hot streak coming into the final, five wins on the trot, and then WA who have dominated domestic cricket for the last two years. So it promises to be an absolute cracker over at the Wacker, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. A cracker at the Wacker, I like that. We might have to <laughs> reuse that one. Um, so Western Australia were guaranteed a spot and were guaranteed to host the final heading into round 10, which was last weekend. They had guaranteed top position, but it was between Victoria and Queensland to battle out for that second spot. And in the end, the Vicks got the job done. That They beat Western Australia over there in Perth, while Queensland could only manage a draw down in Hobart. Um, but there was a bit of drama, wasn't there, on day three as the bonus point system came into play, Jack? There was. It, it, although it was kind of a foregone conclusion that after day one that Victoria would end up being that uh, that, that final barring any weather interruptions But because uh, they bowled WA out for 122, obviously, on day one. And, and Queensland, uh, they lost Michael Nisa before the toss and then Mark Steckity went down with a hip injury as well. So they were under the pump from day one and they... Tasmania ended up getting over 400 in their first innings. But, yeah, day three was a bit of drama because the Bulls could actually have gone ahead on the live ladder. Unfortunately, we don't have a live ladder on our website at the moment. We're hoping to get that in for next year. But if you're doing the math on the bonus points, uh, Queensland needed to get to 303 to take back second spot from Victoria. They were in a bit of trouble. And then Max Bryant and Mark Steckity, who came out and batted uh, injured, uh, got them close. They were edging closer. Um, and unfortunately for them, they got bowled out for 300, um, three runs short of getting second spot. But it mattered little in the end because those sides played at a draw, Queensland and Tasmania, and then Victoria got the job done over Western Australia at the Wacker. Their first win at the Wacker since October 2018. So that bodes well for this week's final. And Victoria obviously got second spot and we'll have a rematch this week uh, at the Wacker for the 2022-23 Mars Sheffield Shield title. Yeah, we'll get into that preview uh, in a bit more depth in just a moment. I did want to mention at the top your chat with Teague Wiley. That's coming up. He'll be featuring for Western Australia in that final this weekend. He uh, scored a century earlier in the season, the youngest to do so in the competition since Ricky Ponting all those years ago. So he's a very exciting talent and he is coming up very soon. Let's have a look back at the season that was 
And um, unsurprisingly, some of the names that feature in the leading run scorers and leading wicket takers table are sort of the guys who are there every year, but a couple of um, new names as well. Uh, the leading run scorer was Cameron Bancroft from Western Australia, who seems to be edging closer to an Australian recall, whenever that may be, 880 runs for him, including four centuries. And then down the list, we had Daniel Drew from South Australia in second, Caleb Jewell in third, Hilton Cartwright in fourth, and Bo Webster with a big century in round 10 in fifth spot. Uh, Jack, which of those run scorers or who from the run scorers list um, you know, impressed you this year and do you reckon we'll be knocking on that Australian selection? I think Cameron Bancroft impressed me the most, just the way he was able to spend time at the crease and vary his different tempos. Like he played a number of different style of knocks throughout the season. We're used to, you know, Cameron Bancroft who's able to bat all day and grind teams into the dirt. But, you know, he, he did that and he scored his hundreds off 400, 400 balls. But then he was also able to play other types of knocks where he was able to, you know, be aggressive and set the side up. And I'm thinking that Tasmanian game down in Hobart where he scored a big 100 there, 175 I think it was, and, and really put WA in a position to um, win that game on what was a pretty good batting surface. So I think, yeah, he stood out. Uh, but also it's been a tough batting year. The scores which suggest that um, averages are down. But in saying that, we've also had three double hundreds. So Peter Hanscom scored a huge double hundred early in the season in round two. Daniel Drew scored a double hundred against WA in that upset win for South Australia after the big bash. And then uh, Matt Renshaw, Matt Renshaw, sorry, also scored a, a double hundred against New South Wales earlier in the season. So there has been some standout batting performances, even though it has been tough generally for batters. Well, yeah, that's a good segue into the leading wicket takers and the quicks have dominated this year, as they tend to do uh, most years in the Sheffield Shield. Spinners have a hard time generally in this competition and this summer was uh, no exception. Michael Nisa topped topped them all with 40 wickets at an average of only 16.7. Mark Steckity, his teammate in second with 38 wickets and then Tied on 36 wickets apiece, Will Sutherland, who had a breakout season, the all-rounder from Victoria, and Wes Agar, um, who represented Australian ODIs in 2021, making sure that his name isn't slipping down the pecking order too far. He also took 36 wickets. So um, a good spread among um, different sides there, but uh, do you have to go a long way down the list before you find the top spinner, um, our boy Ben Menenti? Yeah, I do. I think it's outside the top 10 is the first spinner. So tough season for the spinners. I think the one exception to that and when we get to our team of the tournament later in the episode is Todd Murphy, who obviously earned himself a spot in the Australian side for that tour of India. Uh, He only played three games in the Sheffield Shield season, obviously comes back in for the final this week if he's selected. But uh, he really stood out amongst the amongst the spinners in terms of average and strike rate. So uh, he was probably the top spinner and had he played a full season, he might have been in that list. But, yeah, generally dominated by the quicks. Uh, Nisa and Steckity, exceptional for Queensland. Unfortunately, they both went down before that final game or during that final game and couldn't get their side into the final. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Will Sutherland, uh, breakout year. Um, and, yeah, Wes Agar and then a few season performers like the, like you said, Jackson Bird was up there again. Um, but I think, 
yeah, Michael Nisa impressed me in the Shield season. We know that he's been able to do it for a long time, but he was able to transform that across to the white ball stuff as well with uh, the Big Bash. He had a, his best Big Bash season uh, his whole career so far. And then coming back into the Shield, it didn't really take much away from that and he was still able to get wickets um, as we've become so accustomed to him doing. Yeah, that's right. A couple of multi-format stars there uh, leading the way. Bancroft who, yeah, dominated all all competitions and so did Michael Nisa. So great seasons for those two. Obviously, Bancroft is still going this weekend. You also compiled this week a very exciting video, the top 10 moments from the Marsh Sheffield Shield. So check out that video on cricket.com.au channels and the CA live app. Uh, did you have any standout performances? Don't give us number one. Don't ruin it for our <laughs> listeners. But what were your standout moments from the year? Just if you can uh, narrow it down a bit. Uh, so I'll give the, the guys one out, boy Teague from later in the podcast. He features in there. He's uh, made in Sheffield Shield ton at 18 years and 163 days old, was the youngest since Ricky Ponting in 1992-93 to have hit a Sheffield Shield century. So that is definitely in the top 10. Uh, there's also Peter Hanscom's double century that we mentioned. He finished on 281 not out. So that was the highest score in almost a decade in the competition. So there's two moments and the Redbacks upset win over WA and Daniel Drew's 200 as well is also in there. Yeah, unforgettable moments, no doubt about that. Uh, let's look ahead to the final, which, as I mentioned, starts on Thursday, March 23. It's going to be on Foxtel, KO, and, of course, free on the CA Live app and cricket.com.au. Kicks off at 10 a.m. Perth time, 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, so make sure you – if you need to take the day off work, that's fine. It's big day of cricket and plenty of current and future Australian representatives are going to be involved for Victoria. Uh, following on from their victory last weekend, they get Peter Hanscom and Todd Murphy back into their squad. So there's a couple of big inclusions. And for Western Australia, while they are going to keep mainly the same batting lineup, you would imagine, but they – possibly can bring in three quicks who have had um, a pretty good years themselves. So let's look through your predicted 11s, Jack. Uh, we'll start with the home side, Western Australia, and how do you think they're going to line up uh, on Thursday? I think it'll be pretty similar to what we saw uh, last year in the end in the Sheffield Shield final. The only difference is Sean Marsh's retirement last week uh, means he won't be there, but Ashton Turner's come back into the fold after a couple of years out of the red ball system and he'll take that place at number six. He had a game last week where he spent some time in the middle. But, uh, yeah, from the top we've got Bancroft. Whiteman will captain the side. Wiley's been doing very well at three this year. Hilson Cartwright, uh, he's had another outstanding year. He features among the top run scorers. Uh, Aaron Hardy, who dominated the final last year with 174 not out. Ashton Turner, Josh Filippi. Uh, Joel Paris, Lance Morris, Corey Roccicelli, and Matthew Kelly. So uh, three big inclusions there from last week is Lance Morris back from India with the test squad, uh, Matt Kelly, and Joel Paris. Yeah, so that means that Charlie Stobo, who's had a really strong finish to the year, probably misses out. But just looking at the stats from those three quicks that you mentioned, uh, they've all had stunning years. Lance Morris, before he left for India, had taken 27 wickets at an average of 18. Matthew Kelly has taken 29 wickets at an average of 16. And Joel Paris, the left armer, has taken 22 wickets at 17. 
So if you're going to include any of those, it's going to be good. But if you can include all three, it's a big change from last week. The only caveat as we speak is Joel Paris, who missed last week with back soreness. So uh, whether he's right for the final or not um, is touch and go at the moment. But last year's final, I just remember watching his spell on the morning of day three uh, when he picked up two wickets and uh, WA edged ahead on, on bonus points, which ended up deciding the final first innings bonus points. And that spell just changed the match. So he sort of put WA in that position to to get ahead on first innings, which ultimately saw them uh, lift the title. So if they can include him, that's a massive inclusion because uh, yeah, he, he's certainly a class bowler who's had international experience before. Yeah, amongst all those other big-name quicks, he often doesn't get the plaudits he probably deserves, does he? But he's put in a couple of great seasons now and has one title to his name to show for it. So for Victoria, as I mentioned, Hanscom and – well, Hanscom's a no-brainer. He's the captain. He'll come back into the 11. But Todd Murphy, does he replace John Holland in the 11? Now, I'm just going to go through their stats from the Shield season firstly – uh, but then I'll get your thoughts on that because you can't play two spinners at the Wacker. Some teams don't even bother to play any. Um, but with these two quality spinners, you would think the Vicks are going to have to choose one or the other. John Holland this year has taken 12 wickets at an average of 29. And last weekend he took three for 15 and none for 44. Whereas Todd Murphy, after making his test debut in India, has taken 14 wickets at an average of 17.7 this year. So, Jack, which way are they going to go? Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because they've never actually had to decide yet, Victoria. They've always played them together or Holland's played over Murphy and been the number one or Holland's been injured and Murphy's played. So it's a big call with massive uh, ramifications for, for the state. Um, if a game was anywhere else, they'd probably play both of them because Holland's been bowling beautifully since he's come back into the side. He had a, a bit of an injury halfway through the season, but he's come back into the side and he's been bowling uh, as beautiful as ever. But I think they have to take Murphy. Uh, they can't not pick him, uh, particularly with the overspin and the bounce that he'll get on the wacker surface, uh, particularly with the game that'll going five days there'll be a bit of a flatter pitch to what we saw last week and I think he's more uh, suited to that that pitch his bowling style and plus you know he's just come off a, the high of a test debut a test debut series in India where he performed quite well he took 14 wickets in that series was the fourth leading bowler behind India's two spinners uh, Jadeja and Ashwin and Nathan Lyon so he's in form and I think uh, they've got to pick him but yeah it'll be the first time Victoria have picked him ahead of Holland if they do so uh, quite a, a watershed moment I guess for Victorian cricket. It's going to be fascinating to see which way they go at the toss. Uh, last weekend of course Scott Boland came back into that side and had a big impact four wickets in each innings uh, and so if Panscom does come back in, who do we think will make way from that side last weekend? It's another inter- interesting question because they've got uh, Travis Dean up the top who's been opening with Marcus Harris and then uh, the young left-hander Ashley Chandra-Singer has been batting at number three who has spent most of his career coming through the pathways and uh, Premier Cricket as an opener. So he could easily slide up to open the batting as he did uh, earlier in the season for Victoria. So... My opinion would be to go with the, the younger player. They both sort of uh, haven't – him and Dean haven't sort of made too many runs of late, so they've got to pick one of them, and I thought, I think they'll have a look uh, to the future with by picking him. But uh, who knows? They could go with the experience of Trav Dean, who 
uh, was Victoria's last uh, Sheffield Shield winning captain. So um, he has experience in big games. That's a very good point. So do you just want to run through your predicted 11 as well for the Vicks? Yes. So we've got Harris at the top, uh, Chandra Singer, Hanscom comes back in, Campbell Calloway, who's had quite a good year, another youngster, Matt Short, uh, he's been in a purple patch of late. He's actually passed 50 in five of his last seven Sheffield Shield innings since the Big Bash break. So he's in a wow. hot run of form. Will Sutherland, Sam Harper, Fergus O'Neill, Mitch Perry, Todd Murphy, and Scott Boland. Fergus O'Neill just quietly has had a sneakily good season as well, hasn't he? So it's flying under the radar to a lot, but could have a big impact uh, on the weekend. Uh, Jack, before we jump over to that Teague chat, I might just get your initial thoughts on the team of the tournament. After every uh, tournament, we like to go through who we think should make the, the final 11 to round out the season. And I know that we've both put our thoughts together and ours are pretty similar, but there are a few changes. Do you want to, uh, or a few differences? Do you just want to run through who you've got and then I'll uh, rebut you a little bit? <laughs> I will. And uh, this will be up on the cricket.com.au website tomorrow, our team of the tournaments. Uh, so off the top, we've got uh, Cameron Bancroft, who's had a terrific year leading run scorer in the competition. I've gone with Marcus Harris as well. He's uh, been ultra consistent as he always has in the Sheffield Shield, 200s, averaging 41.5. And then number three, I've gone with Caleb Jewell. So another opener. Um, I just think the openers have done so well uh, this season that I had to get three of them in there. So Jewell has got 200s as well. Uh, He's hit 652 runs at 38. Then we've got Peter Hanscom. Uh, Matt Short has snuck into the side with his form after the Big Bash break. He's got 200s as well. Also bowls a few handy offies with eight wickets. Jimmy Pearson is in there at number six. He's the wicketkeeper. Um, Michael Nisa at number seven. Uh, we all know how well his season has been. Will Sutherland will captain the side, surprisingly, oh, because wow. I've gone with him over Hanscom. But Sutherland's undefeated so far after the Big Bash break, and he's captain Victoria into the into the Sheffield Shield final. So I had to go with current form on captaincy. Then we've got Todd Murphy, another interesting selection of mine. Uh, only played three matches. 14 wickets at 17 but as we were discussing before he's been the standout spinner of the campaign Mm. so far Um, so had he played the whole season he probably would have been up in the top wicket takers and then we've got Lance Morris who was leading the week the the Sheffield Shield wicket takers list for the season until he got seconded into the test squad Uh, 27 uh, wickets for him at 18 and an incredible striker out of 33 as well. So he takes, he's taken a lot of wickets mm. um, in a short space of time. Then we've got Mark Steckety, uh, who's had a terrific season as well. And 12th uh, man was Daniel Drew from South Australia. I couldn't sneak him in at number three, unfortunately, because that's one 200 sort of boosted his uh, runs tally. It was, although it was quite a good knock, it was his only century for the year. So I preference uh, players who have scored multiple centuries over him uh, but he still had a very good campaign and so did South Australia who notched a couple of wins compared to previous seasons where they've uh, been anchored to the bottom so got him in there as, as 12th man and still had a terrific season yeah look, look it's a very strong 11 or 12 actually um, and I can't really argue with too much my only change to your 11 as such is 
Uh, I've got Daniel Daniel Drew in there at number three. So um, Marcus Harris misses out for me. Means Caleb Jewell jumps up to the opener position, and he has just um, today been included in the Australia A squad as well. So his terrific season with two centuries has been rewarded. And I did weigh up having Menenti as the spinner, a bit of extra batting as well. But I, I agree with you. Looking at Murphy's uh, performances, and as well as Lance Morris. They only played a handful of matches, but those performances were so strong that it resulted in a test squad call-up. So for me, I think um, that's why they're included. I mean, Peter Hanscom's a bit the same. He only played five matches, but he's featuring in both our sides. So almost almost on the same wavelength there, Jack, but just a, a few little differences there. I did weigh up Ben Menenti as well, and then one of the things counting against him was we had Nisa and uh, Sullivan in there as well, mm. two sort of hard-hitting bowling all-rounders, so that would have taken that spot. And then Corey Roccicelli also had a um, good season with the ball, but I just felt that Murphy's overall average and strike weight was significantly uh, lower than and Roccicelli's, and, and that's what got him over the line. I guess also unlucky perhaps uh, Hilton Cartwright, who didn't hit a century this season, as we've mentioned though earlier. He did finish fourth on the runs scoring list. 750 is very, very consistent in that WA top order, but he just couldn't find a spot um, in our sides. Seven and a half centuries, he must be due for a century. So the Vicks might be a bit worried heading into the final this weekend. Well, that's a great point. I actually got our um, colleague Andrew Ramsey to run the numbers. What are the most runs in a Shield season without a century? And Cartwright has 629. Unfortunately for him, or, or maybe fortunately, the record is Tom Moody, also a Western Australia all-rounder, who hit 819 runs in a season without a century. So doesn't look like Cartwright can beat that, but he's probably happy about not getting that record, I reckon. <laughs> How many half centuries in that 800 runs from Moody? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but you'd have to imagine it'd be a, at least eight, wouldn't you? Well, if you're playing 10 games in a season, he's hit 800. He's nearly averaging 80. <laughs> 80 per match, yeah, maybe 40 per innings, yeah. Anyway, there you go. Um, Jack, it's going to be a great way to round off the summer this weekend, Western Australia versus Victoria. We know who you're going for, so I won't ask you. But um, no, you're impartial, of course. You're very impartial. Let's throw over to your chat with Teague Wiley. Anything in particular that you really enjoyed? One thing I did find interesting was he talked about, uh, we all know that Sean Marsh is one of his heroes, WA great. Uh, Teague was fortunate enough to room with Sean Marsh on their last away trip of his career to Tasmania. Marsh didn't actually play. He was kind of there as the coaching staff, but uh, Teague talks about that experience and how uh, he just tried to soak everything in. So uh, enjoy the chat with Teague, one of Australia's rising stars. He'll be playing for Australia A next month in New Zealand uh, so this won't be the last of him we see this summer so enjoy the chat with Teague Wiley and hopefully he can score plenty of runs this week for WA in the final A lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at UH1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're joined today on the Unplayable podcast by one of Australia's rising stars. This summer became the youngest uh, since Ricky Ponting to score a Sheffield Shield century, and he's preparing to play in his second uh, Sheffield Shield final in just his second domestic season. It's, of course, Teague Wiley. Teague, thanks for joining me, and uh, how's it feel heading into another Sheffield Shield final? No, it's my pleasure, mate. Oh, it's pretty surreal, to, to say the least. It's quite a amazing last 12 months with... WA winning a lot of titles with the Big Bash, the One Day, the Shield, and then backing it up again this year with the Big Bash and the One Dayers. And hopefully we can go one more and have another three-peat. Contrast back to, to last year, it was just your second game and you're heading into a Shield final. How's it feel this year? You've got a full season under your belt. Does it feel like you're more equipped or prepared for, for this week heading in or is it just like another game to you? Oh, it's easy to say it's just another game of cricket, but it's – a Shield final is a pretty big deal. Uh, last year, I was very lucky that, you know, my second game, I was fortunate enough to play in a Shield final and be on the on the good end of the stick. So I was very lucky with the timing of it to play with such a great bunch of cricketers but an even better bunch of blokes. So to be able to, to play most of the games this year and although the wickets we've played on have been difficult, I haven't probably scored the runs that I would have liked to. It's been lots of learnings and a great experience and I'm looking forward to, to this week and the challenges that come ahead. And if you, you touched on it just there. If you look at your season, you got 100 in that first game. You could have quite easily had a, a couple of other hundreds as well. You got a couple of 80s, I think. Um, do you have much time to reflect as the season goes on on you know just what you've achieved in such a short space of time or is it uh, sort of just you're in the, you're in the mode, I guess, of, of playing week in, week out and you don't really get to look back on it? Oh, you, you play so much cricket during the season. I guess a lot of the players don't have a, heaps of time to reflect on individual performances or so-and-so. Uh, I did take a little bit of a, a step back after the first game of the season where I was lucky enough to get 100 and probably didn't quite realise at the time how much of it how much it meant. But now looking back after, you know, a few games and, you know, a few months later, it's quite a... That was quite special. But the season's been up and down. We played on some pretty challenging wickets. The Wacker, uh, it's, it's been quite bowler-friendly the last couple of years. Um, so it's been always always nice playing on on those wickets where you know, your, your technique always gets, if you've got any flaws, it gets found out pretty quick on a wicket where it's, where it's doing a bit. And even played a game at the SCG where that was done in two and a half days. We played a game down in... Blundstone, which was a really nice batting track, but that was still done in just over three days. Uh, and then the Gabba first day got washed out, so that was another three-day game. So it's been quite a different season. It's probably been quite challenging, the the wickets, compared to some other seasons, a few of the lads were saying. But, you know, we're always looking forward to um, hopefully this week where the conditions are good for both sides. And what are you expecting this week, last week at... It was a bit bowler-friendly again, the Wacker. Uh, this week it's a five-day match, so potentially it could be a little bit flatter. And we saw last year it was a it was a drawn final, some high scores in the 
in both innings or all, all three innings. Um, are you expecting something similar this week? WA is not necessarily the side that's going to dish up a real flat wicket. Uh, we're always taking the positive option. We always try and, and win games. Even the, the Shield final pitch last year, Victoria won the toss and bowled. So I think that that just shows that it wasn't as flat as what people thought. We um, Victoria was still in the game morning of day four. We were in a lot of trouble until Hards and... Uh, Sammy Whiteman it was. ...to put us back in front. So it was pretty much neck and neck up until afternoon, morning of day five. Uh, so I'm guessing the pitch will be pretty similar to the final last year where there's still a bit of moisture. It'll do a bit morning of day one and leading into day two. But I just hope it's a, it's a good challenge for both sides. And we've seen you this year, uh, we've seen you bat. We started batting at the season at number five and then obviously with uh, the retirement of Sean Marsh and him missing a large chunk of games, you've moved up to that that number three spot. Uh, have you got a bit of a preference as, as to where you bat? Is there a, a spot that you prefer more or, or is it just where the team needs you to, to bat, you're happy to play that role? I think, I think WA cricket's got to a stage where any player's happy to bat anywhere where they're given the opportunity. Most my... I think nearly every game of senior cricket or juniors I've played, I've opened the batting in grade cricket. So I love getting up close to the top of the order. I, I tend to get a little bit nervous. So the, the less time I spend waiting, the better it is for me to get out there straight away. So uh, I, I do really enjoy batting three. Uh, the whacker can have its challenges, batting up the order with the new ball on on a spicy wicket. But once you get through the your first 30 or 40 balls can be the best place to bat in the world. And Sean Marsh, obviously you looked up to him sort of growing up and didn't probably get to play as much as with him as you would have liked this season, potentially with him going another year. Uh, did you did you spend much time with him after he sort of announced uh, his retirement and what was sort of the message that he left you with? I was quite lucky. Sean come away with us to Hobart uh, for our last away trip of the year and I was very fortunate enough to room with him on his last ever away trip for WA. So to be able to rub shoulders with him and try and be like a sponge and soak up as much info as I can off a legend of WA cricket, I was very, very thankful for. Um, I only got to play two Shield games with Sean. Well, the last two were last year. Um, so my debut in a, a Shield final. So two games that were pretty special to me and I'm very grateful And in 20 or 30 years when we're sitting back and talking about the legend that is Sean Marsh, I can, I'm can. i very lucky to say that I played a couple games with him, which is a couple more than most other people. What was he like to room with? Uh, obviously, a bit of an age gap there between you guys. Did, was he sort of difference in TV programs that you're watching at night kind of thing? Oh, no. The rooming with him was really good. We uh, went out for dinner a couple nights. Uh, he was pretty much one of the coaching staff on that trip. So he'd get the early bus. So in the mornings, I wouldn't really see him that much. But, you know, we used to sit down and watch a few TV shows at the end of the night and talk cricket and all that stuff. So, no, nah, it was really good. And he, potentially he's been flagged as someone who could uh, quite easily step into coaching. Did you kind of give him a little bit of nudge and say, you know, look, that'd be something I'd be keen for you to hang around and do, spend more time with him and kind of soak into more information that way? I think you ask most of the WA guys whether they want Sean to hang around as a coach. Most of them be would be saying yes straight away. Uh, he's kept his cards pretty close to his chest in regards to what his future holds. I think he's looking forward to stepping back and spending a lot more time with the with his wife and his family, which is more than fair after 
spending a fair chunk of their lives traveling away playing cricket and being on tour so maybe in a year or two he'll um after a fair bit of family time he'll have a few discussions about what his future holds in regards to coaching but I think we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Another thing that just happened recently was the announcement of the Australia A squad to go to New Zealand for two four-day matches next month. Uh, you're in that. So you've obviously played for Australia at World Cup level under-19s. Uh, what sort of that stepping stone mean for you and potentially when you look back, having this time last year just made your debut, did you think this kind of stuff would happen that quickly for you? Oh, it's all happened very fast in between the 19s World Cup last year all the way through to, to now. Um, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity uh, to be able to play for Australia A with some of the best players in the country, um, playing against a, you know, a cricketing, very strong cricketing nation in New Zealand as well. We've just seen what they've done to England and Sri Lanka lately. Uh, so they're not going to back away from a contest. Um, but really looking forward to it. I've, I was fortunate enough to play in that CA game against South Africa against an international attack. So got a little bit of a taste of what it's like, but to go over there and play in April conditions in Christchurch with a Duke ball, it's going to be something that a lot of the cricketers had never faced before. So we're just going to try and adapt as quickly as we can and learn on the go. Have you faced the Duke ball before? The only time I faced a Duke ball was a white Dukes up in Darwin, and I'm guessing that's a little bit different to what the red Dukes will play like. So the first time I'm going to face a proper red Dukes is going to be in New Zealand. Hopefully a few uh, training sessions before then. You look at um, sort of the – you went to the MRF Academy as well um, and now the Aussie Tour. Um, it must be nice that, you know, the selectors are noticing you and sort of giving you these opportunities such early in your career to not only build you – uh, you know, give you more experiences that'll just make you a better player. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for the faith they've shown in in me. Uh, the MRF tour was really good. You see a couple of the guys in there now. Matt Kuhneman was on that trip. He's now played Test cricket. Todd Murphy as well. Um, Pukowski, Henry Hunt, a lot of great uh, Australian players who were on that trip are just are doing very well. So, and then to be recognised with with this, I'm very thankful that uh. You know they've shown faith in sticking with me and what hasn't been a, a season full and full of runs. But you know I'm very hope so. Hopefully I can repay them with some runs in these last few games of the year. Now one thing after you did make that century in the opening game that I found quite interesting was uh, how you talked about how you'd taken up golf to give yourself a bit of time away from cricket because up until that point, sort of cricket had been, you know a large part of your life. Um, how important has that been and, you know, how is the golf game going in terms of, you know, now that you're a professional cricketer, um, sort of having that time, downtime away from away from playing cricket and training? Downtime something I didn't value much until a, a year or so ago. Uh, I was working on a farm full-time. I was training full-time and then I, I was trying to, play a little bit of golf and I was pretty burnt out and then kind of leading into this year I thought you know I've got to try and step away from the game a little bit when I have opportunities so whether that was going out and playing golf or going down to the beach or with my dog or seeing the family now that I live up in Perth uh, those are things that I tried to do to get away from the game uh, unfortunately the golf game isn't getting much better <laughs> I, I don't tend to practice a lot of it I just go out there and have a whack around with a few mates uh, 
and lose a few golf balls here and there. But, you know, I, I, I try and I think during this off-season I'll, I'll have a good little break and spend a fair bit of time on the golf course trying to get rid of my slice. Have you got much planned for the off-season? You've obviously got the A Tour coming up, but uh, in terms of uh, other cricket or that kind of stuff, anything else planned or is it um, just sort of uh, enjoy the time off and, and you know, work on the golf game and, and a few other hobbies? Uh, not much, not much planned, mate. I'll get back from New Zealand on the twelfth, and then I probably will try not to pick up a bat until July. Give myself a, a nice break. Pretty sure I've played twelve or thirteen uh, four-day games this year, which is still a few more to come. So it's going to be, I'm going to be a tired boy by the end of uh, the A tour. So I'll give myself a nice, nice break. So come July, come August, I'm rearing to go and ready to start hitting balls again and work on my game hard so I'm ready to go for next year. You've obviously got an older sister, Georgia, who is contracted by WA as well. Uh, I find it uh, intriguing that uh, her primary skill is a left-arm fast bowler. Your primary skill is a, a batter. Is that sort of how the, the backyard cricket games went down? Oh, the backyard games are always interesting because I never used to let her bat and she pretty much – the only way she'd ever be able to play was to be able to bowl. So she learned to bowl and I learned to bat and that was the way we kind of kind of learned. But no, nah, no, nah, we probably – I was lucky enough I played under 10s and under 11s. I actually got through to under 13s with my sister down in Manda Cricket Club where I grew up. Uh, also, we were lucky I played a seniors game with my dad and my sister. So there was three of us in there. So we've, I've played a, a little bit of cricket with her um, over the last – few years I probably haven't been lucky enough to have much to do with her cricket obviously see her down at, at the whacker every now and again but I'm probably lately I've been starting to throw a few balls to her and try and you know have a look at how her game's going but you know we we kind of stick to our own past now and try and make our own careers. What's it like when you bump into each other at, at the whacker you obviously don't live together anymore but um you know, you must do you coordinate times to, to catch up there or is it um you know, I guess not many other players are in that situation. There's the Sutherlands and uh, you know, the Agars who they play in different states, but uh, must be pretty unique when you see each other around the Waka. Yeah, it's a bit different. You know, we don't we're pretty used to it now, but when we first you know, when I first got contracted, she'd been contracted a couple of years, so it was kind of cool seeing them around now, but it's pretty much quick g'day, how you going, and then we just move on. It's nothing real special. And you mentioned that uh, you've been giving her a few tips with uh, her batting. What about does it reciprocate the other way? Does she give you a few tips on bowling? And uh, you know what do you, do you have you tried bowling in the past? And then uh, what sort of do you roll out with? I've uh, I think I'm a few years into retirement when it comes to bowling. I, I was never blessed with great bowling genetics. My my back was never good. I used to always get a sore back and then I just simply think I wasn't good enough with the ball. So I thought why waste half an hour, 45 minutes trying to work on my bowling when I can just work on my batting with that extra time. So I put that away pretty early and she probably wishes she spent more time on her batting now as opposed to her, her bowling. But, you know, it all, you know, we're all trying to just get better. And Well, she's trying to be an all-rounder and I'm just trying to be a flat-out bat, so. Now in your short career so far, you've also taken a few uh, decent catches at short leg. Is that a position that you enjoy fielding, or is it just something you've been lumped with because you're the youngest player in the in the team? Oh, um, no, I really do enjoy fielding at bat pad. Um, 
you know, you always feel in the game there, you're close to the bat. And when you've got Lance Morris bowling absolute rockets, you always feel like you're in the game. So really do enjoy it. And you can actually be very impactful there. You take a, a half chance and from a little inside edge and all of a sudden the batsman's on the way and, and stuff like that. Uh, the first time I ever fielded bat pad was actually in first-class cricket. So I never really done it before. Um but I've worked pretty hard on it and I'm, I, I get a little bit jealous now if anyone else gets to field there because I like it there. It's a tough initiation to a position uh, in first-class cricket to field there for the first time. Do you take many tips off Cam Bancroft? He's obviously uh, done quite well in that position over his career so far. Yeah, well, usually it was Bangers who was who was fielding there, but I think he's the best second slip fielder in the world almost. So we try and keep him there. He does it against spin and I do it against pace. So I got a few tips off him, you know, how he stands, where are his hands, how low do you feel, where do you want your weight in, on your feet and all that stuff. And I try and, you know, take things off him. But, um, no, I, I really do enjoy it and I just try and learn as much as I can off everyone in the squad because it's a very, very experienced group now. What what is it like, I guess, for you, uh, being you know sort of new new kid in that group, coming into a, a squad that is so experienced, that's had a lot of success, uh, white ball success, predominantly up until uh, last season, Sheffield Shield final, and you've you've come into that as a sort of new kid on the block. There's a few younger guys around the squad as now now as well with you know Cooper Connolly, Sam Fanning as well, those kind of guys. What is it like as a as a younger uh, player in that group coming into such an established and successful squad? I didn't know what to expect when I was called upon to join the squad last year. Um, you know, a lot of – I don't know whether this will happen in many other states, but you can join a side with a lot of experienced guys and you almost feel not welcome or something like that or they're not very welcoming. But WA Cricket were absolutely amazing last year. I trained with them a couple of times and you almost feel like you're your best mates with them straight away. So we got such a great bunch of cricketers and such a great bunch of blokes. I found it – so easy to slide in. And then you got guys like Fano, Hards, Cooper, Gooders, um, all guys who have, you know, played a high level of cricket. Um, they're all such a great bunch of fellas. And WA pride themselves on that. You know, we're not just trying to be elite cricketers. We're trying to be elite people as well. And you seem to be able to, to find players, or not necessarily find players, they're always sort of there performing well. But when someone goes out, you know, someone else comes in, we've seen Charlie Stobo this year had a, fantastic year with the ball um, there's always someone who's next next in line I guess that would come in and play that role yeah WA cricket's depth is absolutely unreal at the moment we we feel like we could almost field two sides and still be competitive um, a few you could say a few other states or you look at other state programs around you know the globe in England or in South Africa or wherever you know the depth is something that some teams can struggle with, but WA cricket are very blessed with their stocks at the moment. And it's not something that we've always had, but it's something that we're very lucky and grateful for now that we've got the ability to, if there's an injury or if someone gets, you know, concussed or something, we've got players who can come in and replace them and still perform at that level. Now, one of the last things I wanted to, to ask you about, Teague, was you played all of your uh, domestic cricket so far in the red ball format. Um, Obviously, the under-19s World Cup was was white ball and, and 50 over cricket. Um, in terms of, of progressing your game, how much work do you do with, with white ball stuff through the season and, and I guess your ambitions to try and break into that white ball 
side for WA that has has won the last two uh, 50 over domestic titles as well. Oh, I love I love my white ball cricket. I work on it a, a fair bit. Um, probably haven't done as much on T20 cricket um, as I have in one as white ball as one day cricket. Sorry, um, love my white ball cricket and grey cricket. Love it. Um, you obviously really enjoyed the underage pathways and then the the World Cup. I really do um, like one day batting. Um, spent a lot of my time at the top of the order, so got the most time to bat. Can still feel like you can build an innings. Uh, WA cricket's one day side at the moment is absolutely unbelievable. In the, the one day cup side, I think nine out of the 11 had played international cricket. So it might not be next season or the year after. Or, um, with you know Philippi and Short and Bancroft and all these guys who are performing the house down, but hopefully in a few years or whenever that opportunity comes, that I'm ready to go. Do you have to adjust uh, much in your game to make that sort of transition across, or it, it, is it pretty um, straightforward for you? It, it keep it quite simple and um, you know same sort of mindset going in because we saw you the other week uh, in the in the Wacker game against Tasmania. You came in chasing a small total. I think you were. Going to you know overrun a ball in that in that innings. Oh, I find the first five overs of a one day or the first you know your first thirty balls in a red ball game are all pretty similar. You if they bowl a bad ball, you're looking to put it away. And then my game doesn't change too much. It probably just um, probably play a few more shots if that makes sense. As simple as that may sound. Um, drive a few more, cut a few more, try and pull earlier. Um, maybe run down and hit the spinner over the top one or two more times. But I try and keep it all very simple. Nothing technical really changes. Just take a few more risks and and that sort of stuff. And before I let you go, Teague, uh, the last one I guess I've got for you is I guess, what would a sort of a, another Sheffield Shield title mean for you? We've seen uh, someone like Sean Marsh play for 20-odd years and just got his first one uh, last year. You must feel pretty lucky to come into a side that is – is playing in a second Sheffield Shield uh, final this week and got the opportunity to win back-to-back titles. Oh, I'd mean the world, not just to me, but to everyone in the group, um, not just the ones who are playing, but the whole squad as a collective. It's a team effort. You're not. It's not just the 11 blokes playing who are representing. It's the whole state. It's all the players in the squad, everyone's families. Um, so to win, it would be absolutely unreal uh, for, for WA cricket and for everyone. Uh not getting too ahead of ourselves, but, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to play in front of our home fans and hopefully we can put on a show and play some good cricket for everyone in WA to watch. And you talked about the fans just then. When I was there last year, there was five-odd thousand uh, people there for the, the Saturday and the Sunday, I think. Um, what's it like playing that kind of, in front of that kind of crowd? Did you get those kind of experiences in, in the World Cup or is this sort of the, the biggest crowd that uh, you've played in front of so far? Uh, the opening game for the Under-19s World Cup had a very good crowd, I'd say. The Shield final and that was probably close to on par. But the atmosphere of playing in front of your home fans, playing in front of your family, playing in front of friends. Um, and then with everyone, it was especially with it being on Foxtel, a lot of your, your mates and all everything are watching as well. So it's always nice playing, knowing that you've got a lot of supporters and a fan base there watching. But... We're just trying to, you know, execute our skill. And when that ball's being bowled, we're not thinking about who's watching. We're just, you know, trying to execute our skill. 
Beautiful. Well, thanks for joining us, Teague. Uh, we appreciate your time in a, in a very busy week for WA Cricket. Um, all the best for the final and uh, good luck to, to you and the team and, and looking forward to see if you can bring home back-to-back titles for WA Cricket. Thanks heaps, mate. Been a pleasure. Cheers.